0: The Singletracks Podcast is brought to you by TPC, the pros' closet. Spring is the perfect time to upgrade, and TPC has an industry-leading selection of new and certified pre-owned bikes, plus frames, wheels, and accessories. Each certified pre-owned bike is inspected, tested, and serviced, and every bike includes 30-day returns. Visit tpc.bike forward slash singletracks and enter code singletracks40 to save $40 on every order over 200 That's the pros closet at tpc.bike slash singletracks and look for the link and coupon code in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today Matt Miller and I are going to be talking about downcountry mountain bikes. What do you think about this topic, Matt? Are you excited to talk about downcountry bikes?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I guess so. It's It's been a fun category to watch over the past few years and, you know, just watch it develop and everything from being somewhat of a new term to uh, being ubiquitous with like this travel category now. So
0: yeah. Well, so I think a lot of our listeners, I mean, they've probably heard the term before, but what does downcountry mean? What does it mean to you? I don't know that we like have a actual like dictionary definition of what right. it is, but but like yeah, where where does it come from? What do we what do we think it means?
1: I think if I was going to sum it up succinctly, I would just say it's a fun cross country bike, but it's even a little bit more than a cross country bike, right? Like mm. it's a travel spec that used to be cross country that now has more aggressive geometry and better suspension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say just a fun, aggressive, short travel trail bike or a long travel cross country bike. See, it's like I'm already confused on like how to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> so
0: yeah, right. Well, it's it does clearly, you know, the term is related to cross country, right? So we mm-hmm. substituted cross for down. Right. So, I mean, if I think about it that way, you know, you think about cross country, I don't know, I tend to think about like a race course and it's kind of rolling, it's like up and down, but it's mostly really pedally, like you're pedaling a lot. Yeah. And so, yeah, if we're, if we say we're not going like across country, we're going down country, maybe that means like it's more descent focused or, or maybe it's like cross country, but with like bigger hills,
1: yeah, I mean, I guess you could say it's just a a mix or amalgamation of, you know, downhill and cross-country, like the right. pedaling attributes of a cross-country bike and the descending attributes of a downhill bike, even though that's <laughs> a really big gap from the two, but right. yeah, you'd give a yeah. bike, you know, attributes of both.
0: Right. It's a huge gap. And I've explained it that way to folks too, like friends who ride and like, aren't super, you know, caught up on the industry lingo. And, you know, I throw out a term like down country and they're like, what is that? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, that was, that was my explanation. And people, you know, their eyes just kind of like pop out of their heads. Like what, that doesn't make any sense that you would combine like the two extremes on the spectrum. Uh, into this new category and to be clear too it's like we're not talking about travel that's right in the middle either right like right you know if you took a a 100 mil cross-country bike and a 200 mil downhill bike we're not we're not talking about like 150 in the middle because that would be like all mountain enduro so this is this is like short travel trail bike
1: yes yeah and um i mean because we just wrote up, uh, analytics piece on the geometry. And I think if you look at where the trend has settled and these are the numbers that, you know, I use to, um, kind of look at these bikes, it's travel between one fifteen and 125 millimeters to where even, mm. you know, if you had 130 millimeters, it's like, I don't know, I see it as a trail bike. Yeah. And then to make it a little bit more narrow, if you look at almost all the bikes out there, they have 120 millimeters of rear travel. Hmm. In 130 millimeter fork. So that 120 mil travel spec is, I'd say 100 to, 100 to 120 has always been reserved for these cross-country bikes with you know, a cross-country bike having a little bit more travel at the 120 end. And now it's like, if you look at almost any bike from any brand out there with 120 milli- millimeters of travel, <clears throat> it'll probably have 130 millimeter fork and mm. the aggressive geometry to go with it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting how it's all kind of settled into this spec. Before we move on talking about the term downcountry, like, what do you have a personal opinion about it? Like, I feel like a lot of people they don't like the term or they think it's silly. Like, what do you, what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I think like a lot of people, I thought it was stupid <laughs> when I first started hearing it. And yeah, if we look back at our archives, like it showed up in uh, the first the first time for single tracks in like 2018, Hmm. which is a while ago. Mm -hmm. But I think that was still so early that nobody, like it wasn't, hadn't really caught on by then. Mm -hmm. And then everybody starts saying it and you're like, Oh my gosh, it's so dumb. And then now it's like, (laughs) whatever, it's a, it's a bike and it's really easy to identify like what type of bike it is just by using that term. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, back in the day we used to bicker about, using the term enduro bike for you know 160 mile travel bike and it might sound dumb at first but then it's just really easy to identify a bike in that category
0: yeah yeah and it's not like people sit around and like debate various terms we could use it's just like people throw around terms and one of them catches on and that's kind of it like we as the media totally we don't get to decide we didn't make it up like yeah you got to call it something so it's kind of like Who cares if we like it or we don't like that's the term. Yeah. Um, And I I think of like flow trail too. When I first heard that term, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what is this? But yeah, after a few years, you see enough of it in print and online and, Mm -hmm. you know, you start using the term yourself. It makes a lot of sense. I feel like that's where we're at with down country. People have stopped kind of resisting it. And we're like, okay, yeah, this is shorthand for short travel trail bike
1: yes yeah totally it's everywhere everybody says it yep whatever
0: (laughs) (laughs) get over it right so yeah you talked about a little bit the like the cutoff in terms of travel like what what we're considering to be a down country bike um is one with 115 to 125 millimeters of rear travel but really most Bikes. Most manufacturers have chosen 120, I guess, because it's an even number. And then they're pairing that with like 130 millimeter travel fork. So what else makes a bike down country? Like we've been saying for a while, just in general about mountain biking, that weight is not that important anymore. We've kind of gotten past that, or a lot of riders have. Mm-hmm. What do you think about for downcountry? Does that distinguish the bikes from other bikes, like in different categories?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, well, I guess the two go together, but the build spec and then the weight is going to be a lot different than mm-hmm. you know what you'd have on a basic cross-country bike. And mm-hmm. that weight is less important to you because you want the you want the capability and durability that are going to go along with like heavier parts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like a 35 mil, like a Rockshox Pike or a Fox 34 instead of, you know, a Fox 32 because you want the added stiffness up front,
2: mm-hmm.
1: heavier tires because yeah, you don't want puncture because you're going to be riding it more aggressively or, you know, you're going to be riding this 120 mil bike on something that's looser and, and rockier than you would ride on. hmm. Cross country bike because so all these things that kind of have these trade offs, and you know, again, like in my opinion, the frame is at 120 millimeters, it's still going to pedal so well that at least I know I'm willing to take that sacrifice of like mm-hmm. added weight and slower rolling resistance for the added confidence that goes along with those components,
0: yeah. And right, I mean, it makes sense that if you look at the spectrum of mountain bikes. Um Obviously, the average cross-country bike is going to weigh a lot less than the average downhill bike. And there's kind of a spectrum in between. Like as you go from cross-country to downhill, the bikes get a little heavier on average. Um And so it makes sense that a down-country bike, I mean, it's going to be much lighter than, say, an enduro bike. uh, But <clears throat> maybe it's going to weigh a little more than a cross-country bike. And then, just in terms of the spec, like you were mentioning, I mean, it does seem like the bikes are being spec to be more comfortable than a cross country bike, and to be a little bit like more fun oriented. For me, I still think of cross country whenever I hear that. I immediately think race. You know, that's not like yeah. a bike that you would ride out on the weekends for fun, or you know, after work, like cross country is is pretty race oriented whereas down country kind of um, substitutes some of those like racy components with stuff that's going to be a little more comfortable a little more capable for like more technical or, or faster trails
1: yeah totally and then I think the way that it's evolved too is like you know have like a perfect race bike for these for these kind of like vacation races that <laughs> So many people love to do like BC bike race or Moab rocks or uh Pisgah stage race or something like that to where, yeah, if you're doing it on a dedicated cross country bike before, it's like, I don't know if it's going to be the most fun thing, but now you've got a decent bike with good components and, and this aggressive geometry. It's like, I'd ride,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like I'd ride my Ibis Ripley AF on BC bike race all day long compared to
2: mm-hmm.
1: a 100 millimeter specialized epic or something like that. Yeah because it would hold up fine. And uh, yeah, I mean, it would just be the perfect bike for any race like that. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I also think it's like, it's brought riders into that travel category that had never been interested in it before either. Like Mm -hmm. myself and a lot of my friends got into mountain biking because we were attracted to long travel bikes and this idea of like free riding or enduro riding and, and, you know, going fast downhill. Mm -hmm. And, um, would never have bought a bike below like 150 uh, millimeters. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden this category got cool and <laughs> the marketing around it got cool. Yeah. And so now it's like, you see more and more riders picking up one of these bikes and actually getting interested in like putting in longer days in the saddle, mm. riding longer and you know, all the things that kind of come along with that travel spec.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, thinking about the types of races, I think you're dead on like these stage races, these, you know, more experience-based races where people are doing it for fun. They're not necessarily there to compete. And then, I, I mean, I also think of like bike packing potentially, mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it was kind of a rougher route, more single track focused, I could definitely see down country making sense there. I mean, assuming you could fit like frame bags if it's that type of race. I mean, the fact that it has suspension does limit that use, rear suspension. And I also think like, Marathon cross country races, as well. Like you could see that depending on the course and even regular cross country. I think you're seeing that riders, professional riders, like having kind of a choice between a very cross country focused bike versus another bike that's kind of down country territory for more technical cross country courses.
1: Yeah, definitely. Right. There's kind of a greater delineation between what 100 mil bike is and 120 mil bike is. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, for example, the bike that we'll talk about a little bit later, the VC40, I think does just that to where you can spec it shorter or longer depending on, yeah, the type of racing you're going to be doing, whether it's a marathon or whether it's more aggressive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked about these downcountry bikes in terms of their rear suspension travel. That got me wondering, can a hardtail be a downcountry bike? Like, I don't know that we've seen a hardtail marketed as such, but like, does that even make sense?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think all the marketing around it and the categorization is all leaned into the full suspension market and those mm-hmm. travel categories. But then I guess, yeah, I mean, a big, basic question because, yeah, why wouldn't it be if you think of. The History of hardtails is like a cross country bike and how they've gotten more aggressive over time and how they have bigger forks than they used to. And but I, yeah, I mean, people call certain hardtails enduro hardtails, right? So, yeah, I guess why, right. why couldn't it
0: <laughs> downhill hardtails? Yes, yeah, yeah, right. It is, it is interesting because. I mean, really. If we're again talking about, you mentioned 130 millimeter front suspension travel on a downcountry bike. You know, if you put that on a hardtail, right now most people would call that a hardcore hardtail, mm-hmm. and that's the Kona folks. They don't they don't care for that term, but like really, um, that's kind of what we call it. But maybe maybe downcountry is a better label for that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, the way. It- my brain works and categorization and wanting to put things in boxes and stuff like that. It's just like, (laughs) Nope, that's a full suspension label.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And at the end of the day, like you said, it's just a label. Maybe it doesn't matter. So another weird thought I had or question is like, what about electric down country bikes? Like, Is that a thing? I mean, we are seeing a lot of like shorter travel, lighter weight e bikes. That's kind of a category. And I don't know that we have really a good label for that either right now. I mean, and there's clearly a difference, you know, I mean, there's like electric mountain bikes that have like huge batteries and lots of travel. And, you know, they're basically like self shuttling bikes. Whereas then there's another group of electric bikes that are lighter weight. They're more like, you know traditional mountain bikes, um, and they're, they're shorter travel as well. So, are there any bikes that come to mind that maybe could fit that moniker, like an electric down country bike?
1: I don't know, I'm having a tough time thinking of any off the top of my head. Like the two that come to mind as being shorter travel trail bikes or e bikes. They both came out last year, the Truck Fuel EXE and the uh, Pivot Shuttle SL. And both of those are still, the Shuttle SL was 132, 135 millimeters of rear travel. Mm-hmm. And I don't know off the top of my head what the Fuel EXE was, but you know, those have kind of been like the lightest e-bike options out there mm-hmm. so far. Although. I wouldn't be surprised to see brands developing like shorter travel e-bikes. And I think the complication so far has been trying to fit in like one, finding the right type of motor, because both of those bikes used, you know, a smaller slimmer, like truck used, I think their own motor and pivot used a Fazua, which is a really small motor. And one, they had to wait till either they developed the right motor, (laughs) smaller motor to make the bike or until the motor was available. And I don't see why you couldn't use that same one on a shorter travel bike, mm-hmm. but I feel like that also might be a sign of the consumers are ready to adopt an e-bike with that short of travel. Cause so long, mm. or at least thus far, you know, e-bikes have been reserved for really long travel bikes and now they've gotten smaller and lighter like the Orbit Arise and these other two that mm-hmm. I was just mentioning. And so, yeah, I mean the way that mountain bike traditionalists have thought about it is like, okay, it's stupid to put a motor on a bike that's already light <laughs> and you know, has such a small travel amount that it's so easy to pedal already. But
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I think those two bikes like the Trek, well, the Orbea and the Pivot had done really well with, you know, finding a market for a smaller e-bike, for example, when you and I went to Arkansas last year, like those trails would have been perfect for a shorter e-bike. And I think, yeah, we actually rode the Orbea Rise there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a market for a shorter travel Mm e-bike. I just don't know if the brands are there yet.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, I'm sure it's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna try it. Whether or not people buy it, I guess that remains to be seen. And to me it does it always seems weird to like because with downcountry, you're you're starting to get into that like XC race. You're you're very close to that. And it seems weird to me that you would try to put a motor into like a XC bike because after all, isn't XC all about just like fitness and like how fast you can ride kind of on your own power and i i I think of like many years ago i rode i think it was an orbea electric road bike and to me it was like i don't understand the concept because i mean and this was not like a casual like oh you can go commute on it i mean this was like a performance-based road bike with like you know, battery integrated into the tube and, you know, look like a traditional road bike. But yeah, it's like hard to understand exactly who that's for. And I don't, I don't even know if they still make that or if that's a category that Orbea or others are pursuing. But yeah, it, it does seem like it's, it's a very limited set of, of buyers for that kind of concept.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't think the electric road bike market has slowed down at all, but yeah, a very different market from, you know, the people you might see pedaling around recreation district or bike path on an e-bike than the people you'd see on a big windy mountain, <laughs> you know, summit on a road performance e-bike. Yeah. But yeah, the bike industry is good at, you know, creating markets for itself. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we will definitely see one whether or not people buy it, who knows? So we talked about how downcountry bikes are different from cross country bikes. Are they different from trail bikes? Like when somebody says trail bike, what do you think of? Is it something with like a little bit more travel or do you think down country is like a part of that?
1: Well, I think to like play off the last sentence I just made about the bike industry creating markets for itself, I think (laughs) it's done a great job at further delineating the trail bike category into down country because now it's like, yeah, I mean, what really is the distinction between a trail bike and a downcountry bike at that point it's just travel right and then you're picking a travel um you know you're picking a bike with travel that's suitable for the trails that you're going to ride mm-hmm. and yeah again it's just the geometry has come so far to make the downcountry category possible and let buyers choose a bike based on what travel suits them rather than what geometry suits them
0: mm. yeah
1: And so, yeah, I don't think there's a big distinction between the two categories anymore. I think you're, you know, most riders are just going to choose a bike now based on what travel is appropriate for their own trails.
0: Mm, Yeah, well, yeah, and I I always wish that I had access to like sales numbers for the industry as a whole to see like what types of bikes people are buying, but you know, I feel like it's a pretty good guess that most mountain bikes being sold are trail bikes. It's got to be the biggest category, you know, obviously XC and downhill. Those are like two extreme ends, probably a lot of enduro bikes being sold, but, but still we would guess that for most sort of recreational riders, core riders, trail bikes are what they're going to be looking at. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense if that's your biggest category that maybe you need to like break it into subcategories and for me too, you know, we can throw out another term there within the trail category the um, which is all mountain. Yeah. And I use that myself to sort of distinguish sort of the longer travel end of trail bikes versus the shorter travel. And so for me, maybe what I'm left with is, is downcountry and all mountain as being like kind of splitting the trail category in half, just because the bikes are pretty different when you start talking about, again, like you said, their intended use and and how much travel you need for the trails that you're going to ride.
1: Yeah, totally. No, I think that's fair, um, especially with the all-mountain category. That used to be kind of like a more popular uh, moniker for like those travel numbers too. And it's pretty silent. Like mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't call the, you know, 140 to, or I guess 135 to like 150 category, like boring i just think (laughs) that it hasn't gotten as much attention as downcountry in the past several years yeah and as much focus because there's a ton of good bikes you know between 135 and 150 that i think are out like the trek fuel ex i rode last year was probably my favorite bike of the year
0: Mm, yeah
1: but yeah that category is just a whole i don't think is like quite as hot as as downcountry is still
0: yeah Yeah, you make a good point. And like the longer I'm in the industry, the more I see this pattern of like, you know, it's not that, that these categories like all mountain disappear or that like Mm -hmm. brands stop making the bikes or anything, but they definitely don't talk about them as much as they do whatever the hot category is. And so right now, like the industry as a whole, it's, it's gravel bikes. So, you know, we're heading to sea otter in a few weeks and I guarantee you, you know, the bike brands, most of the bike brands will be there. And I'm pretty sure what we'll see is at the front of these tents, is going to be like all gravel bikes. And that's not to say that like, you know, they stopped making mountain bikes or, or whatever. It's just like, this is kind of the focus area right now. And so that's where you're going to see kind of like new bikes coming out and you're going to see developments. And yeah, it's kind of on this cycle. You know, we saw it with fat bikes, we've seen it with electric, mountain bikes we'll probably see a lot of that too that that one mm-hmm. along with gravel is certainly still a focus area but but yeah all mountain bikes i mean for me too like that's a great choice as well no no better or no worse than than say down country
1: yeah yeah 100% so much gravel right now it's
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. cool
1: but it's also a little annoying
0: right yeah we'll get past it and who knows what the next thing is but right. there will be a next thing so yeah, you mentioned you, you did an analysis of sort of the current bikes on the market uh, that are within this down country category, a category that we kind of, we had to make a cut off in terms of like travel numbers to say like, is this down country or is this cross country? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. What did you find like in terms of the geometry for down country bikes, like, Can you look at the geometry and say that's downcountry without considering the travel? Like, is it very distinct from, say, other categories? Hmm.
1: Well, yeah, it's hard to say because I think a lot of trail bikes are still not far off of these numbers that downcountry bikes have settled on as far as uh, a lot of the geometry. Like, I, I think if you looked at the average geometry, which we found was like, yeah, it was a little bit under 66 for the head tube angle, like somewhere around 65 and a half to um, 66 or so 65.75 and then a 76 mm-hmm. degree C2 angle reach on like mediums I found was about 450. So yeah, still like pretty roomy. And then, um, yeah, I mean, trail bikes as a whole have gotten more aggressive than that lately, but like, I wouldn't turn down a trail bike because it <laughs> was still, I don't know, it's weird to call those numbers conservative, but I wouldn't like, I would still ride a trail bike with those Mm. numbers because it's just good geometry. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's a hard question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. We'd have to, we'd have to like do this analysis of all the categories kind of simultaneously because they are always changing and evolving. And to me, like just that head tube angle, like really pops off the page because it's like 65 degrees, you know, 65 and change. A few years ago, you know, that would have been like enduro or, you know, I, I was, I was definitely not riding bikes that were anywhere near that. You know, 68 was like, oh, that's, that's kind of slack. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it is constantly evolving. And again, like it is a spectrum. So I imagine if we were to kind of run that analysis you'd see head tube angles kind of you know going down by a degree or so between the categories and similarly I I don't know about seat tube angles like that it seems like everybody kind of agrees no matter what kind of bike you're looking at you want a steeper seat tube angle at least for the bikes Mm -hmm. that you're going to be climbing on which is like everything up through enduro you know everything except downhill and then yeah things like reach like like you said, that's kind of like a, it's like a comfort number more than it is necessarily like performance based, just kind of getting into that position where you feel comfortable on the bike. And then, yeah, like looking at chainstays, 435, I mean, I feel, feel like that number is burned into my brain because that's like pretty much what every bike is. And, you know, everybody says, oh, it's, it's playful and it's flickable and it's, you know, whatever. But yeah. Yeah. So those numbers. I think you're right. They don't necessarily stand out kind of on their own.
1: Right. Yeah. I have been like tossing this around in my head for a while as far as like, man, not every short travel bike needs to be raked out and there's still a place for conservative geometry Mm -hmm. and just hoping that like not every brand completely rakes out their trail bikes and makes them like long and turns them into, (laughs) you know, mini enduro bikes. And I think like so far it's been, it's been okay even on these slacker short travel bikes Mm -hmm. with a good like short offset fork and I I think it's really dependent on the wheelbase length too because 70 or a a 65 degree head tube angle on you know a size medium with 1190 millimeter wheelbase is going to feel still a lot more agile than Mm -hmm. you know a bike with an inch more wheelbase I've been surprised that yeah even as bikes have gotten slacker and slacker it's still doesn't take away from the sharpness of a bike if you have the other numbers right.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So we talked about sort of the origin of this downcountry term, and I guess you said first time single tracks mentioned it was like twenty eighteen, so mm-hmm. four or five years ago. What were some of the earliest downcountry bikes that that you remember seeing?
1: Yeah, and it's funny, I looked that up in our archives when I was writing the Downcountry Geometry piece, and funny enough, that was in reference to an Ibis hardtail at the time.
0: (laughs) Uh Oh, so there are Downcountry hardtails. Yeah, yeah. There were.
1: (laughs) And I don't know, I'd have to ask Duro because when he was with us at the time, he was the one who wrote, uh, or flipped around that press release, but I would assume that that label came in the press release from Ibis at that time. Hmm. Okay, And so, yeah, for whatever reason, I think the word started getting a buzz, Mm -hmm. you know, 2018, maybe later in the year. I think the following year, you know, I remember getting an early ride on the Santa Cruz Tallboy when they completely redid it. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I really think that bike set the category on fire. So it's 2019. And I remember meeting with... Uh, Seb from Santa Cruz and him giving me a preview before I rode around Whistler for a couple of days. And that had a 65 and a half or 65, I can't remember off the top of my head, but a head tube angle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him being like, because I had just done BC Bike Race and him mentioning, oh, yeah, this would have probably been a great bike for that race. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah. of course it would. <laughs> and then the marketing to go along with it. I mean, yeah, Santa Cruz always has good marketing, but. Who was it that did the video for that bike? Lucas Shaw. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as it being like the downhill, yeah, the downhillers XC bike. And then all of a sudden, it was a really cool thing to (laughs) dive into these bikes. I really think that bike deserves a lot of the credit for popularizing the category. Mm. But, you know, from there's, yeah, the Giant Trance, um, the... Ibis Ripley AF, I don't think that came out until 2021, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that bike too, I think, uh, again, like giving it the more aggressive nature and like setting it apart and saying, Hey, our aluminum bike is going to be, some might argue better, uh, than our Hmm. carbon version of the Ripley because of the geometry and the suspension characteristics, But yeah, I think those were, you know, a handful of like the earlier bikes that really gave rise to the category. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of brands have still been catching up. Uh, I mentioned like the transition spur because they've been a, um, you know, they've always been kind of uh, cool kids, uh, aggressive geometry Mm -hmm. uh, type brand too. And so to see them doing like, I believe their shortest travel trail bike ever with the spur. Yeah. I also think that helped the category out quite a bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. Right. It's interesting that, I mean, that's great. I didn't kind of connect all of that history together, but I think, I think that's spot on. Like that's kind of the genesis of the category. And you mentioned too, how like press releases and marketing can kind of play into that, that stuff in terms of like what the label is and how it gets applied. And, you know, for me too, we talked about. Like travel numbers using that as kind of our guide for like, is this down country or not? But at the end of the day, like the brands kind of decide that, right? Like if they're calling their bike a down country bike, then, you know, that's kind of signaling the intentions, whether or not like the travel lines up or not, or the geo is different from somebody else's, like. They're all kind of interpreting this idea of bikes that uh traditionally, you know, climb really well. They're very pedalable, but now we're making them more capable uh for descents, which is kind of the opposite of enduro, right? Where you're taking a bike that's like really great at descents and like, let's make it so it can and pedal better. And so... Yeah, it's kind of natural. It's kind of like, wait, why didn't we think of this before? And you mentioned too, like the Ibis Ripley AF, you know, the Ripley had been around before and it was more kind of cross country. And so, you know, you saw this like more aggressive version with, I guess, I believe it had a little bit more travel. And you see that from kind of all the brands over the last few years where they're making like an Evo version of their cross country bike or their doing these things that that move it more toward that idea of like a fun descending bike that also pedals really, really well.
1: Yeah. I had somebody tell me one time, Hey, do you know how you can identify a good product launch? And that's it. If you look at all the different publications talking about the product launch, they're all saying the same thing. Mm. And that's, you know, for people that don't know when a bike launches publications receive press materials from a brand and you know, it's our job to kind of like decipher what's going on and and turn it into, you know, somewhat of an original piece. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a lot in bike media, but (laughs) you could tell a good product launch if the brand has a strong, consistent message and all publications are picking up on that message. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I would say that, um, media gets a lot of credit or, or blame. You could, Say it either way for driving a narrative, but at a lot of times, you know, it happens at the PR level and communications and marketing level mm-hmm. to where the brands want you to uh, and want the media to sort of relay this message that they're driving. Yeah, um, and it works. Yeah, it works a lot of times.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, so you mentioned uh, the Santa Cruz Tallboy. I forget what version that was like. Gen three, four, something like that. So this was like four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the earliest bikes that we would now call down country. And that was a bike that you tested. So let's talk about some of the, those down country bikes that we've ridden. I guess starting with, with the tall boy.
1: Yeah. It's funny because. You know, I wrote that and I had friends who wrote it too. And I think everyone was attracted to like the short travel package with aggressive geometry. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember getting on trails on that bike in Whistler and being like, okay, like the geometry feels capable, feels stable enough, but the travel is still a limiting factor. Like you're not Mm -hmm. 120 millimeters of travel is still 120 millimeters of travel at the end of the day. So it definitely has its limits. despite
0: Right. You didn't take it on a line?
1: No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did out of the bike park for that one. Yeah, but a line probably would have been fine, mm. just because it's a jump trail and like, mm, right? I think that would be even better on a jump trail than some long travel bikes. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's if you're on the right type of trail, you're going to outrun your travel
2: mm-hmm.
1: in a bike like that. And I mean, the same is true, or the same is true for any of those bikes. Is like, yes, it's got. Good geometry, you can feel comfortable, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's still a pretty small amount of travel. I forget where we started with the question, but those are kind of the early impressions. Super fun bike, and Mm -hmm. but it it does still have its limitations.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, so uh, another bike that you and I both tested was the Allied uh, BC40. And we did did kind of like a little uh, creative review of that, like sort of chat based. I mean we literally chatted and then we shared the the transcript yeah. from our online chat. But yeah, we got to ride that in Arkansas, uh where Allied is based and uh rode it on the back 40 trails uh which the bike is named for. So, yeah, what did you take away from that in terms of like that bike and and what down country means and what it can kind of do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at that bike and then you look at the Santa Cruz Tallboy and the main difference in the travel categories is that the tall boy has 130 millimeter fork whereas the allied bc40 has 120 mm-hmm. and both still kind of fit inside this category but they're two very different bikes
2: mm-hmm.
1: i really like the allied bc40 but that one felt like more of a cross-country bike a capable cross-country bike but yeah at the end of the day it was still a cross-country bike with evolved geometry
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you can look at the suspension platform and make that distinction too with it being like a single pivot with compliant chain stays or seat stays purely just to save weight. And you could look at the tire choice. You could look at some of the other component choices too. And, mm-hmm. and really say that the alloy or allied and bikes uh, like that are much more cross country uh, oriented than something like the Ibis Ripley AF or the tall boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, an interesting one is the one that you last tested was the evil following because mm. yeah, if you think of evil, it's also this aggressive brand with, you know, its roots like in descending, mm-hmm. but then the geometry on that bike is still fairly conservative for what people might assume out of a short travel evil. Yeah. Like, did you feel like it was more of a trail bike or
0: I do? Right. So, I mean, I, I was going to make the same points that you are. Cause yeah, I mean, I've got a list here of the, The bikes that I've tested, they kind of fall into that downcountry category. And looking through it, it's like they all ride very differently. And some are going to be much more closer to the cross-country end of the spectrum. Like you mentioned, the the Allied that we tested. You know, still it's not a cross-country bike. Like I would race it in, say, a hundred mile Single track race, or I mean, if I was just doing a hundred miles for fun, which I, I wouldn't do, but if I were into that sort of thing, yeah, I would ride the the BC forty because it has just a mu- enough travel, but it's still super efficient. Again, like a cross country bike, but the the evil the following definitely my favorite of the down country bikes that I've tested. And you mentioned too, like sort of the brands, like Transition is another one as well that's like. I don't know. They're, they're definitely more known for their like gravity or like longer travel bikes. And so I was a little skeptical about the bike, like worried that it would go too far in either direction. Right. So like either, you know, they try to make a cross country bike and you know, it's just, it's just weird and not right. Or that they took all this like really aggressive geometry and and stuff that, they are doing in their longer travel bikes and trying to do it in like a short travel package. But I found that the, the following, it really does blend those two. And for me, you know, when I think of down country, that's kind of the one I have in my mind currently, like Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense that it's, it's lighter weight than a lot of these, like, you know, longer travel bikes, obviously it climbs really well, but it also descends really, really well. And so, yeah, it's kind of the best of both, both worlds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I think well, I like where evil is at with that bike because they didn't just turn it into like this total sled. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, it seems like they realized that <clears throat> putting sharper numbers on a bike like that is going to keep its intentions true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to know exactly like kind of how these bikes are designed. I mean, we we talked to a lot of designers and things and, like, how it goes from concept to, like, the bike that you're riding. Mm -hmm. But to me, it it seemed like what they're doing and what, you know, some of the best downcountry bikes do is that they start with a bike, a cross-country bike that climbs really well, that's, like, a really efficient climber. Like, that's what it excels at. And then they kind of start, building in the things that are going to make it descend better and just be more fun to ride. Um, And I I just really got that impression with that bike that, you know, they almost like if you, if you think of a bike's capabilities in terms of like, how well does it climb and how well does it descend? You know, it's almost like they're getting closer to 50, 50 on a short travel bike, which is kind of surprising. And like, how, how could that be possible? But Yeah. I, I think for me that that one's a, a pretty prototypical down country bike. There are other ones that you've ridden that kind of stand out, or that are or maybe a little bit different from the Allied or from the the Tallboy.
1: I mean, I remember really liking the Pivot Trail Forty Nine, the latest generation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got all the characteristics of a Pivot that you would you know highly regard. It's light, very stiff. It, climbed very well and then at the same time like once you get used to the ride feel of it and how light and stiff and agile it is it's a super capable bike too Mm. and yeah like you said like i think that descending and and climbing capability are a good match together yeah and then i think about like the norco optic that we reviewed as like our mid-travel mashup a couple years ago Mm -hmm. and where that You know, if we look at this category, it barely fit in because it was 125 mil of uh, rear travel and then 140 millimeter fork. So it was quite a bit over forked. Mm -hmm. And again, like that one, I feel like I would just call it trail bike at the end of the day. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so one of the ones that I have in for testing right now uh, that is a little different, a little outside of that travel category as well. On the other end is the Canyon Lux Trail. And again, this is one of those where, you know, Canyon had the Lux, which was a cross-country bike. Um, and so they they would it or they, you know, AF'd it or whatever. <laughs> right. uh, they're calling it Trail. They trailed it. And to me, that bike, it feels, it still feels very much like a cross-country bike. And looking at the travel too, it is less than, I believe, where our cutoff is. I think it's... Maybe one ten rear, one twenty front, something mm-hmm. like that. And so that one, you know, initially too, it it felt very different because I I came off the evil bike and then started riding that one. And it felt very cross-country to me. And it's funny because these are these are kind of the same category. I mean, they're not too far off in terms of their travel or I'd have to look at the geometry, but I, I imagine it's it's pretty similar as well. Um, but to get such a different ride feel is surprising. And so it's not, it's not as if like down country is this magical category. That's just like, Oh, you got to get a down country bike. Like they're amazing. They're all very different in terms of like the ride feel. And it's going to come down to like how you like to ride the trails you like to ride and all that. Cause I'm sure there are people who like, Oh man, Canyon Lux trail. Like that's the perfect bike for me. And for me, it's like, yeah. A little more cross country than I would like, um, just for like going out and having fun. It's probably a more capable race bike, for example, than the following. But again, like it depends what you're into.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And might be a perfect bike for somebody who, yeah, maybe is getting older and not quite as confident in their descending capability as they used to be and want uh, cross country bikes still, but something with a little bit more edge than what the typical lux is going to offer
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah another one that i tested fairly recently was the alchemy arctos 120 and that's kind of an interesting bike too because they are essentially using kind of the same frame and they're changing up the amount of travel so there's like a arctos uh, 120 there was a 135 and i think there was like a 150 or one yeah 150 yeah Um, and so, yeah, this one was kind of the, the down country version of that bike. And that one was different in that, like, it seemed to have a lot of the aggressive geometry of like a more mid travel or even enduro bike, but just was slim down travel. And for me, like that combo didn't, didn't really work that well, like, because it wasn't like a dedicated, like we're going to, you know, do this kind of from the ground up and make this same with the Lux. Like, again, it's like we have this bike and we're going to swap a few components, but essentially it's, it's still kind of this other bike with a different intention. And so, so I guess I say all that to let people know, like, if you have a cross country bike and you're thinking, Oh, I want to make it more down country by all means, like you, you might be able to do that, but it's not, necessarily as simple as like just putting a longer fork on it or getting wider tires or or that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I remember thinking the same thing, looking at the geometry charts between the Alchemy Arctos 120 and their 130 or 135 or whatever it was then. And except I believe it is just you know swapping out a different shock link to accommodate mm-hmm. the travel changes. And to me, reviewing the geometry on there it just yeah it was very off base of like what i would want out of a, a bike with that small travel or short of mm-hmm. travel
2: yeah
1: and that the reach was just way longer than you know i would consider and it, yeah they're like you said there have been a couple brains that have done that when yeti's since overhauled their lineup uh since then but when they had the yeti sp100 i think they took the same frame and made a similar change and came out with the 115 that had Hmm. More conservative geometry. I'm not a hundred percent positive on this, but I know it was not <laughs> the geometry wasn't improved over the one hundred. Yeah. Um and so I think that I would assume that turned some buyers off from uh the one fifteen over the one hundred is that you know, you take the frame you have now, you swap out the shock link and make it a longer travel bike, and then it really just does nothing for the geometry to mm-hmm you know, go along with, the uh, travel change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so another bike that was like that was the Ibis Ripley when they went to the AF I'm guessing. Right. And you own that bike, right? So mm-hmm. like what were they able to make that transition like better than some of the others or, or is it like a completely different frame from the, the original Ripley?
1: Yeah, it is a completely different frame. Mm. And I believe even the kinematics are different from okay. the original Ripley. And that, yeah, because they last updated the Carbon Ripley in 2019. I think that was when you wrote it. And I mean, it's been four years, so maybe we'll see another new Carbon Ripley soon. But then the AF came out two years after the Carbon Ripley.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And same with the Ripmo AF. Like, they're both different geometry. I believe the Ritmo AF and Ritmo Carbon are different geometry, but I know that Ripley AF is different from the Carbon Ripley geometry, but, um, yeah, completely different geometry and Mm. different kinematics than the Carbon version, which would make sense because if you've got Carbon molding cut for the, uh, you know, the Carbon Ripley, then you can just use different tubing and sort of design it as a different frame.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm guessing it works pretty well. I mean, you're, you're obviously a fan of the Ripley AF in terms of it, like being a down country bike. Do you call it a down country bike or is that just like your trail bike?
1: No, I guess if anything, I call it a short travel bike. Yeah. I mean, it's just a product of working in the industry. So I've got that and then (laughs) a longer travel bike. So yeah, I mean, I usually just tell people I have a shorter travel bike and a longer travel bike and I use them on different trails. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so that brings me to my question. Of whether you think a downcountry bike could be a quiver killer. Like again, we're talking about this. Like this is some magical category that's just like the best of the best, best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. But is it like, is it, I mean, obviously for you, it's not like you have a short travel, like downcountry ish bike. And then you also have a, a longer travel one. Do you think most riders are going to be that way as well when they consider downcountry bikes?
1: No, I mean, I think it depends on the rider and, and what they're riding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I will say, you know, before I had the Ripley AF, I had a 130 millimeter trail bike, and there still feels like a huge difference between
2: mm.
1: just the 130 millimeter uh, Rebel trail bike I had before and the 120 millimeter Ibis in terms of capability and how it rides. So. Yeah. I mean, like most people are going to pick one bike based on one bike that can handle the majority of what they ride. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they might find that they don't need more than 120 millimeters to accomplish the mission. Like most of the time,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I would say that, yeah, personally, like I, I would have stayed with a larger travel bike if I didn't have a larger travel bike. (laughs) (laughs) So if I didn't have, you know, longer travel Canfield, which is what I have now, then I would have picked a bike with more travel instead of the Ibis Ripley AF because it's not the bike I would do everything on.
0: Right. Yeah. So kind of split the difference. Like if you were limited, you can only get one bike. You get something in between a long and a short travel, which yeah, I think makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's always funny when you talk about the idea of quiver killer. And again, that's another one of those terms. Maybe some people are like, ah, stop saying that. I hate that word or that term or whatever. But the idea being that there's one bike uh, right. that will meet all of your riding needs. And obviously all of us are different. And so, you know, if you're only interested in riding your local trails and maybe when you travel, you want to ride trails that are similar to your local trails, then yeah, like a, a you could probably find a bike that's going to suit that and is going to be sort of your do all bike. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, if you're somebody, I mean, I enjoy all kinds of riding. I enjoy gravel riding. Um, I like bike packing. I like riding trail. Every now and then I like riding bigger stuff. Then yeah, I mean, no, there's not a bike that's going to yeah. fit all of that. A downcountry bike certainly uh, won't do all that. There's specialized tools for the different types of rides that you're doing. But yeah, I think, I think the idea of a quiver killer, I think it, it exists for some people. Um, just it, you need to be someone who's focused on like a really narrow type of writing. And and again, that's not like a bad thing. That's not like a knock on right. those people. I think what a lot of us do, you know, we were buying a shopping for a car a few years ago and, you know, thinking about like, Oh, well, what kind of car should we get? How, you know, sh- do we need a big car? Do we need one with like a lot of, you know, range on it? And, you know, you're thinking, you start thinking like, Oh, well, you know, we do a road trip. Like, Once every three years, we're going to need a, uh, you know, a car that does that. Or like we need third row seating because, you know, every now and then we take our kids friends somewhere. But if you think about it, like rationally, you realize like, I'm not going to do that that much. Like, it doesn't make sense to compromise, you know, be driving around this like huge car 360 days of the year for those five days that, you know, you might do something else. And so, yeah, maybe hopefully that's helpful. For people that are like, you know, kind of stuck in this indecision where you're like, well, you know, I might like to do this other stuff. If you like to do other stuff, then maybe like rent a bike for those days and and have your bike kind of optimized for the stuff you do most of the time.
1: Yeah, totally. Or, Or, you know, you just suffer through the rides that are not, uh, you know, well suited toward your type of bike, which is what a lot of people do. Right. Like if you, mm. most people are not like us and have a bunch of different mountain bikes lying around. Uh, most people buy one mountain bike and they use it for everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, before I worked in the industry, I was exactly that type of rider too. And if you're joining a group ride that, you know, you want to get out on, but it's not totally like you're, it's not a trail that's made for your bike or it's not a, you know, your bike's not made for that trail or that ride. It's like, you know, you're not going to turn down that opportunity to get out and have fun just because you're not on the right type of bike. At least I would hope not. You're just, (laughs) you're going to be faster on the ups. You're going to be slower on the downs. than maybe your other friends are who have a different type of bike, but at the end of the day, who cares? It's like get out and ride. And Mm. yeah, that's the bike you got. And,
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think about like bikepacking bikes and Lee and I were just having this discussion the other day, like, is there such a thing as a bikepacking bike? And it's like the bikepacking trips I've been on, you see all kinds of bikes. You know, (laughs) some people are on like gravel bikes. Some people are on drop bar mountain bikes or some people have full suspension. A lot of people are on hardtails, but it's like, yeah, most people it's just what bike do I have that's like closest to this and you make it work. So yeah, yeah. Don't feel bad if you don't have just the right bike for the ride or the trail. Yeah, totally. So finally, finally, I want to ask or think about like where does downcountry as a category go from here? Do you think we're going to see it kind of evolve, or is the the downcountry category as as it exists today is this is this pretty much it? Like what did you, could you get a sense of that from looking at like the geometry numbers at all? I
1: don't know about the geometry numbers. I would say it's more so in line with the brands that are still a little bit behind the curve for whatever reason, maybe it's their product cycle didn't line up with like the peak of the term. And Hmm. I think most brands now, I mean, we had, 21 different bikes in this analysis. And so each of them are from a different brand. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, there were still a couple that were coming out with their bikes like last year. So a couple of years after the height of, or the, I mean, I guess I would call it like the peak. If you look at Google, there's definitely a peak for the turn down country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I would say that the majority of brands have, you know, the down bikes have come to fruition, whatever it is going to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think the term in the marketing buzz as a whole is going to die down a little bit because I, you know, people just get fatigued or they care less about whatever is, um, yeah, whatever has been popular for a little while.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think the bikes are necessarily going to go anywhere. I think you'll still have like these really sweet short travel trail bikes, mm-hmm. but I do think the like heat of the category is going to cool down a little bit and consumers will. Mm. Yeah. I don't know that they'll find another category they're in love with or whatever, but the bike industry definitely will.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, I'm pretty bullish on the category. Yeah. Maybe not the term. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Maybe we won't see it as much, but it does seem like it's, it's a market that a lot of people are in. Um, obviously, like we said, trail biking seems to be the biggest one. Like if you're a new rider, that's kind of where you're going to enter and a lot of people are going to stay in that area. Cause again, it's a wide, it's a wide category. I mean, you could start out riding a 120 mil travel bike and you could go all the way up to 140, 150 and you're still kind of in that, that trail category. So in terms of, of the category being big and like having room for this sort of subcategory, I feel like, yeah, it's going to exist for a long time. And then in terms of like the geometry, you know, we've, we've been saying this for a little bit. A lot of people have that bike geometry, it has to settle down. I mean, not, not because like it can't keep changing, but mm-hmm. it it does seem like that has slowed down in terms of the changes and Downcountry being like a new category, you would think it would uh sort of evolve as people are figuring it out. But I don't know, this one, it seems like it's kind of, they've got it right, right now. And, you know, I don't know, for me personally, there's not anything that I look at and say, oh, you know, these bikes would be even better if they had like a slacker head angle or a steeper one or, you know, a little bit more uh wheelbase. Like, I, I don't know, there's nothing to me that's obvious about what you could do to kind of improve these bikes, make them more fun or more capable. So yeah, it kind of, for me, it seems like it's where it's at. It's not going to go anywhere. And hopefully that's a good thing for consumers that, you know, if you buy one of these bikes now, it should be good for a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, still super stoked on the category. And I think the bikes are awesome. Like coming from, like I mentioned earlier, like this entry point into the sport where I was pulled in through longer travel bikes and being like, I ride enduro bikes and I drink protein shakes and I don't care about (laughs) climbing and this and that. And it's like, you know what? Like these bikes are actually fun. Like it's cool to go and put like a 20 mile ride on a down country bike and, you know, slay the climbs and then be hitting all these bonus features and kickers and stuff on the side too and feel Mm -hmm. like totally comfortable doing it. Like, yeah, I think they're awesome bikes.
0: Yeah this was great talking about downcountry bikes and hopefully um, kind of explaining the category a little bit more for folks who aren't familiar with it if you're interested in learning about any of the bikes that we talked about some of this geometry analysis as well be sure to check singletracks we've got a landing page set up singletracks.com slash downcountry that's all we've got this week we'll talk to you again next week